are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. So back in the mid-1900s, there was an old English theologian named John McKay. And he once described the letter of Ephesians that we're in as truth that sings. He said that it's doctrine set to music. It's the kind of news that's just too good to be true that when you hear it, when you see it, you have no response but to get up out of your seat and start dancing. It'd be kind of like if a lifelong Bengals fan got to celebrate a Bengals Super Bowl tonight, right? The response would be jumping and cheering and, and celebrating and dancing. And this is what Paul does in Ephesians. We see him rejoicing in the goodness of God. Think back to the first chapter of this letter with me, where we see this symphony of praise that Paul is giving. And in verse 3 to 14, Paul starts the letter with one long, breathless sentence where he just goes off. The dude cannot contain himself. He is praising, he is celebrating, he is rejoicing for the triune God, for every spiritual blessing that he has given us in Christ. He rejoices that God the Father chose us for adoption to himself, that Jesus the Son redeemed us through his blood, and that God's Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, seals us for an inheritance now and forevermore in Christ. Paul cannot contain himself. He has no response but to praise And then in the next eight verses in chapter one, we see Paul responds to this good news through thankfulness in prayer. He prays for the Holy Spirit to empower the Ephesians to know God more by opening the eyes of their hearts to see the the hope and the riches and the power of God. Chapter one, Paul ends on this high note in a major key where Paul is saying that the fullness of Christ who fills all in all is with his people. Is that not sweet news, church? But then when we get to the beginning of chapter 2, Paul makes a drastic change in tone. The first few verses here, Paul immediately brings us to a lower note in a minor key. Here, Paul invites us into the triage floor at the ER where we receive some of the most distressing and offensive and gut-wrenching diagnosis that anyone could ever imagine. He shows us who the Ephesians were before Christ, and he shows us who we were before Christ. And what does he say? He says that they were dead. He says that we, church, were dead. We were dead people, walking zombies. We were the living, dead, in desperate need of resurrecting. And here's the thing, when we go to the doctor, or even if you go to your mechanic, which for a lot of us is Joey Hewden, uh, we want a proper diagnosis, right? Because a misdiagnosis can often lead to greater problems that can even ultimately lead to death. 
just this last week, Joey told me we needed new tires on my car, and I didn't want that to be true because tires are expensive, right? But he said that when my family drives to Tennessee next week, if we kept the tires on our car, there could be severe issues on the highway. This diagnosis showed that if you continue this way, it could lead to death. And this is what the gospel does, does it not? Whether we want to believe it's true or not, it reveals a correct diagnosis of our condition. The amazing thing about the gospel, church, is it doesn't just reveal the depth of our need, but it reveals the depth of God's grace in Christ Jesus to meet us in our deepest need. Pastor and author Scotty Smith says the gospel dismantles us before it delights us. It criticizes us before we cherish it. The sheer greatness of the gospel underscores our utter desperation for it. You see, what Paul shows the church at Ephesus and what he wants to show us here today is that the splendor of God's grace in Christ is made all the more glorious when we recognize, when we're confronted by this divine diagnosis that reveals our condition before we were saved in Christ. Church, this is our main point for today, that the sad news of our sin makes the good news of God's grace even greater. The sad news of our sin makes the good news of God's grace even greater. And we're going to see that through two points today. Number one, we're going to see what we were. And number two, we're going to see what God makes us. What we were. Let's look at these first few verses in Ephesians. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Notice, what did Paul say? He did not say we were weak, did he? Paul did not say that we were sick. Paul did not just say that we were rehabbing an injury at UPMC Sports Medicine in the South Side. Now, Paul said we were dead. Paul says we were dead. Church, this is heavy. This is weighty to see what we were before Christ. Paul does not pull any punches here. He makes it painstakingly clear that the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the, not just the need of being saved, but our need to be resurrected from death to life. That's it. We are dead people apart from Christ. We were walking zombies in our trespasses and sins. And if you recall a couple weeks ago, Pastor Rob talked about trespass. He said that a trespass is a false step. It's the crossing of a known boundary. Going in where a sign says do not enter. Whereas sin, it's this Hebrew word kata, which just means to miss the mark. It means to fail to live up to the commands that God has given us. We have trespass, it's, it's commission. It's doing what you're not supposed to do. And with sin is omission. It's not doing what God invites you to do. And we see this all the way back in Genesis 3 where the very first trespass is described. It's our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
It says, if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would what? Surely die. Adam and Eve gave into their flesh, and they crossed the good boundary that God laid for them. That's right, guys. There are such things as good boundaries that God puts in place because he loves us. Adam and Eve, they were both tempted by the serpent, and they gave into temptation. And from that, death spread to all mankind. And Paul says this in Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All sinned, church, every one of us in here. This puts us on an even playing field, does it not? That we are no better to the person to our right or left. We are no better than the person that we think way less of than ourselves. What's the result of this sin? It's physical, it's relational, and it's emotional and spiritual death. There's brokenness everywhere that we look. Whether it's externally, and if we're honest with ourselves, when we look internally, we see brokenness as well. And we cannot just blame Adam, right? It's us. It's us too. Sin spreads because of, because of you and because of me, because we have all sinned. See, the same prince of the power in the air that Paul talks about in verse 2, he, he lured and tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve. It's the same one that lured the people in Ephesus, and it's the same one that Paul says tempts us today here in Pittsburgh. You see, before Christ, we all once had a father prior to God adopting us through Jesus It was the father of lies. And the same spirit that made us sons and daughters of disobedience is now at work in others. Now at work in those who are not in Christ. And church, this is really, this is really hard. It's really heartbreaking to think about this. This keeps me up at night to think of those that aren't in Christ. And what that reality means for them. But with Paul's diagnosis, we have to be honest that everyone apart from Christ is being tempted and worked over and wooed by Satan and his legions. Our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, our family members, our closest friends that don't know Christ are in the same state that we once were when we did not know Christ. They're walking dead. They too have one father like we once did before Christ, and it's the devil himself. And you might be thinking, man, that is harsh, Paul. That is harsh, Paul. But the reality is, church, Jesus, even to the religious, those that the world might call the good people, the people that have it all together, Jesus says this to them in the Gospel of John. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Church, what Paul and and what Jesus and what I hope to make clear to you this morning is what the world fails to admit. You see, the world would love us to believe that there are two types of people, the good people and the bad people. That I'm, I'm good enough on my own. Oh, they're, they're, they're a horrible person, though. 
right? It's, it's, it's the other mentality. Well, they voted the wrong way, so they're not as good as me. They think differently than I do about something. Their external sin is so much worse than mine. Man, I'm good. They're not. It's us versus them. And while everyone, church, is created in God's image, everyone apart from Christ are in the same place, and that is the tomb. We're all dead apart from Christ. Paul says there's both evil all around us, the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself, the sons of disobedience, but he also says that there's sin within us. Listen to these words from his letter to the Corinthians. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such was I, church. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, church, and such were some of us. You see, in verse 3, Paul proves that it's not ethnicity that saves a person, which the, the Jews at the time wanted to believe. You see, it's not just you, the Gentiles, in verse 1, who were dead, but we, the Israelites, that once lived this way as well. It didn't matter if the Ephesians were from a Jewish or a Gentile background, which means all of us, church. Paul says this in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Whether it's the Ephesians or the Yinzers or the transplants that are here today, apart from Christ, all of humanity is dead. It's not family heritage that gets you into the kingdom of God. It's not how often you show up at community group that gets you into the kingdom of God. It's not how often you journal. It's not how often you pray. It's not how often you block out times in your day to read God's word that gets you into the kingdom of God. It's not how many days in a row you make it without looking at pornography that gets you into the kingdom of God. It's not how little you let others down. It's not who you vote for. It's not who you repost on Instagram. It's not how much theology you know. It's not how perfectly you parent or how many A's you get on your exams or what job you have or internship you have or relationships you have. It's not your goodness, church, and it's not your accomplishments that make you alive in Christ. Church, there are no exceptions, there are no excuses, and there is no escape from death except that which is provided in Christ Jesus. Amen? So church, where do you guys run to for life? Where do you guys think that you're better than you, than you actually are? 
Or do you guys think, man, if I just, if I just do this, then I'm good? See, church, even our best intentions are tarnished. Transgressions, sins, they're not just doing the wrong things, but it's even doing the right things for the wrong reasons. It's carrying out the desires of the body and the mind that Paul talks about in verse 3. It's the passions and desires of the flesh. And this flesh, it's any desire that goes against God's good design. It's both what we do and what we think. It's our body and our mind, both outward and inward. It's our whole being. Everything we do, every single fiber, every part of us to our core is tainted with sin. It's who we are apart from Christ. This is because by nature, Paul says, we are children of wrath just like everyone else. Church, our lab results are back in We've all been diagnosed with this sickness known as sin. I mean, think about it. You don't have to teach a child to yell, that's mine. Or me first. They just do it. Why? Because by nature, they're self-absorbed and they're self-loving. This is mankind's default. This is my default apart from Christ. It's our natural desire from birth. Look at Psalm 51 with me. King David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Church, as children of wrath, this means we're deserving of God's just judgment. And I know you're like, Luke, all right, we get it. That's enough. But church, we need to, we need to understand this. We need to understand that God's wrath is his appropriate response to everything that violates his beauty and his goodness and his truth. God in his very nature is a holy and just God, and this means that he cannot remain passive in the face of evil, whether it's the devil's evil or our own. His wrath justly falls on those who have sinned against him. I want you guys to hear me that God does not judge in spite of, of his love, rather he judges church because of his love. You see, love and wrath, they are not in opposition to one another. If someone you loved was being abused by another and your loving anger, wrath motivated you to step in and call the police, nobody would call you unloving. Nobody would look at you as if you were in the wrong Rather, it was your love that motivated the wrath. And that's no different than God, church. See, wrath is not the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite. And God, however, praise God that he is not indifferent. That is the good news, that God is not indifferent. Though our sin, church, made us objects of God's wrath, his wrath does not fall on those who are in Christ Because God in his perfect love, in his perfect compassion, in his perfect mercy, in his perfect grace moved toward us in Christ Jesus in spite of what we were. In spite of what we were, God moved toward us in Christ. This brings us to our second point, what God makes us. If you guys 
ever seen little kids, or maybe you remember this, when you were a, a younger kid as well, or maybe some adults, depending on what kind of games of tag you play, uh, when, when a child is, is being chased, they're just constantly looking back over their shoulder, right? They're running, looking back, see who's chasing them, and their, their eyes are fixed on what's behind them, and they're facing the opposite direction of where they're headed. We can go through life sometimes like this, can't we? If we're honest with ourselves. Instead of fixing our eyes on the hope we've been called to in Christ, we keep looking back. And looking back. And looking back as if our mistakes, as if our sin, as if our shame are still there. We keep looking back as if they have power over us still, and at any moment they're just going to snatch us up and make us believe the same old lie that says we are still dead in our sin, that we're no different than we used to be. So we keep looking back, church, instead of fixing our eyes on the hope and the riches and the power that we have in Christ. And I wonder, guys, can any of you relate to that this morning? Do you guys feel like you're constantly looking over your shoulder and are just filled with shame because of your sin? Do you ever feel like you're the same old dead person that you were before Christ? Ah, I did it again. Ah, I'm never going to change. This is who I am. Do you guys ever feel that? That no matter what you do, you just keep looking back and looking back because you feel the weight of sin just overwhelming you and it's just crushing you. Brothers and sisters, this is you this morning. I want you to hear me when I say this. God loves you exactly where you are today. No matter how many times you keep looking back, no matter what you did last night, God loves you exactly where you are today, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. And this is why, church, Paul invites us to remember that the sad news of our sin makes the good news of God's grace even greater. Paul wants us to know that. Because when we know how badly we need something, how much sweeter is that thing when we get it. Paul goes on to say this in verse 4 to 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Church, God has made us alive together with Christ, period. He made us alive together with Christ. Do you, do you get that? Do you get that you once were dead in your sin, but now you've been made alive together in Christ because of God's rich mercy and love for you in his grace? You have been saved. Do you guys get that you are alive together in Christ? And you might be thinking, well, well what about my, my sin here? And Paul wants you to hear, but God. Well, you don't know 
You don't know what's going on in my heart or how bad my thoughts are or the things that I do. And Paul wants you to hear, but God. Church, it is, but God who is rich in mercy has made you alive. It does not matter where you have been in your life or where you are right now because, but God is waiting for you to bring you from death back to life. I wonder, guys, what part of your life, what part of your heart do you need to remember that has been resurrected in Christ? That you're no longer who you used to be. You're no longer what what sin wants you to be. Where is that for you in your life? The thing that you keep just looking back at. Did you guys know that in this letter, this is the only place that the words sin and trans- trespasses are used? You see, what Paul is doing here, he gives us the proper diagnosis, right? But he also shows us how great the cure is for the rest of the letter. And here's the good news, guys. You can breathe easy because the cure is not you. <laughs> The cure is not your feeble attempts. It's not my feeble attempts to get ourselves out of the grave. The cure is not us working harder and doing more and trying our best in pleasing others. No, the cure is Christ alone. Man, that should take the weight off of our shoulders. Robert McShane says this, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God. Guys, for every time you look at your sin, for every time you're tempted to believe that your sin still defines you and that you are dead in your sin, take ten looks at the Savior. Because God, he has brought you from death to life in Jesus. Your sin, it runs deep, but God's grace, it runs deeper. And he's inviting you this morning, church, to bask in this grace. Church, this is good news that we were once dead and we no longer are in Christ. That in spite of the state that we were in, that we no longer remain there because of Jesus. You see how rich God's mercy is. You see that God just lavishes us and lavishes us with his mercy and his grace and his love. And he doesn't do this after we wake ourselves up. He doesn't do this after we clean ourselves up and fix ourselves up and put on our best face and come to him and say, Okay, God, can I have mercy now? No, Paul says even while you were dead, that God's mercy is for you. Even while you were dead, his grace makes you alive, church. See, the dead cannot cast a ballot for God. No, God elects the dead. The dead cannot call out to God. No, God calls out to the dead. If God had to wait on people to make the first move toward him, he'd still be waiting because you know why, church, corpses cannot move. We cannot move to God in our deadness. 
In John chapter 11, there's a story about a man named Lazarus. Some of you might be familiar with it. Lazarus, he had two sisters named Mary and Martha. And Lazarus, he wasn't feeling so well, so his sisters sent for Jesus to, to come. But by the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had already died. He had already been buried. And once Jesus talked to Mary, saw her wep, weep, Jesus saw where Lazarus was buried, John says that Jesus himself wept. Church, this means that Jesus, he cares about us in our deadly state. That it breaks our Father's heart when we are far from him. This is the very reason why in love he pursued us in Jesus, to bring us back from death. John goes on to tell us, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Guys, this is kind of a graphic uh, depiction. Decomposition already set in. Tomb is smelling bad. Mary must be thinking, what on earth, Jesus, what on earth is there left to do? And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. Church, the man who had died came out. Do you guys see what's happening here? The God of life, the God who created everything out of nothing by simply speaking is the same God who spoke the words, Lazarus, come out. And he is the same God who on May 19th of 2011 said, Luke, come out. Come out of the tomb. You're no longer dead. So stop living like it. Stop living like you are. He's the same God, church, who makes you alive in Christ because when he calls you, brother, when he calls you, sister, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the grave, and it's the same spirit that resurrects you from death back to life. My brothers, my sisters, where do you need to to remember this today? Where are you living right now as if sin and death has the final word in your life? Where do you need to remember that you're no longer dead in sin, that you're no longer what you used to be? Church, Jesus is inviting you this morning to come out of the tomb because in him you have life. He's saying, come out. Charles Wesley said, he speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. 
Church, I was dead in my sin. You were dead in your sin. We were physically alive, but we were part of the walking dead until he called us into life. You see, what the devil wants, what the world wants us to believe is that we're good enough to resurrect ourselves. We think we're primarily good people who occasionally do bad things and clean ourselves up on our own. But the the story of God, it paints a drastically different picture. Look at Psalm 14 with me. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. You know what the psalmist is saying? You know what Paul is saying? He's saying good people don't enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because there are none. We have no good apart from Jesus. Church, we're dead apart from Christ. That is the condition of man. That is what we were. We cannot change on our own, no matter how many comeback stories and stories of transformation that we see that have a turning point where we get ourselves together, where we think of, okay, I just have to do more. I can change myself. If, if I just think the right things or do the right things or eat the right way, that, that I can change. We think we have the power to bring ourselves back from the dead. We think we have the power to bring others back from the dead by doing all that we can to force them to change. We put our hope in ourselves. We put our hope in the power of politicians. We put our hope in the power of organizations and the power of social movements. We put our hope in the power of medical advancements because the world wants us to believe that this is what will ultimately change people and make people new. But church, the human condition is such that it cannot be fixed by us. It cannot be fixed by education. It cannot be fixed by legislation. It cannot be fixed by indoctrination. The only way it is fixed is by resurrection. That God in his grace raises us up from the deadness of our lives. And that is it. This is what Paul is reminding the Ephesians believers. And this is what he's reminding us today. That this is exactly what God has done, church. This is exactly what he's done because in reality, not only can we not change ourselves on our own, we can't even muster up the desire to change without the work of the Spirit. That's why Paul's cliffhanger, but God is such amazing news because it shows us who we were, yet it shows us what God makes us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. Years ago, my family uh, was going through a lot, a lot of difficulties. A really <clears throat> just tough time in our family. My brother and I, though we're very, were very close, at the time I just did not treat him well. I belittle him for certain choices he was making for the lifestyle that he was, he was choosing to live, I would, I would scream at him. I'd swear at him. I'd tear him down with my words, repeatedly shame him over and over and over again. We'd get into legitimate fist fights. 
I was prideful, I was arrogant, and I acted as if my sin was nowhere near as bad as his. I thought that I was righteous and up here and that he was unrighteous and down here. I had a critical, a harsh, a judgmental spirit toward him and boy, did he know it. The reality, church, this is who I was. I was the walking dead. Sounds bleak, doesn't it? That's me. But God. But God. God who is rich in mercy, he saw my deepest need. Church, God who is rich in mercy sees your deepest need and he responds Remember, the dead cannot respond to the living, but the living God can respond to the dead. And this is exactly what he did in Christ Jesus. As children of wrath, we deserve God's holy wrath, but instead he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us his immense mercy. Because God, he is rich in mercy, church. He's not stingy or miserly. He doesn't hoard it from us. Instead, he lavishes us with it. He fully covers us with it. He loved us when we were dead in our trespasses, not when we were filled with remorse, not when we cleaned ourselves up and got our acts together, but when we were dead, when we were incapable and unable to do anything but be dead. And yet, at that point, God lavished us in his rich mercy and grace. Church, we were not metaphorically dead. We were literally dead. See, the gospel isn't just this redo. It's it's a resurrection. And after the Spirit brought me to new life in Christ, you know what happened? My relationship with my brother. I started living as someone who was made alive in Christ. My words became kind and loving. I was patient and gentle. I no longer tore him down, but I built him up. I became gracious and merciful because God was gracious and merciful to me. And do you know, do you know, church, what my brother's response was? He did not say, Luke, you're so great. Wow. I can't believe how you suddenly changed. That's awesome. No, church, he told my wife, Hannah, who was my girlfriend at, at the time, he said that there is no explanation for my transformation other than the work of Jesus. He said that he could not attribute the change that he experienced to anything but God. Church, this is what the gospel does. It resurrects the dead. Me in my sin, living in my flesh, resurrected in Christ. As children of wrath, Paul isn't saying sin is just something we do, it's something that we once were. So how do we escape? How do we escape this deadly consequence? What can we do to get out of this church? The answer is nothing. 
We cannot do anything on our own to get out of it. See, the only cure for the walking dead is to be resurrected. That God, in Christ's death, in us, in our sin, in our shame, were buried. In Jesus, in his resurrection, along with us, we were made alive together with him when Christ was raised from the dead. But do you know what happened with our sin and our shame that we were buried with? It did not move from the grave. Do you know what that means? It means we no longer have to look over our shoulder over and over and over again because we are no longer bound to our sin because it is dead in the grave where we once were. See, the Son of God, Jesus, he died the death the living dead deserved to die. God, though, he refused to let death and separation from him have the final word. That means, church, our sin does not have the final word over our lives. Who we once were apart from Christ does not define who we are today, but we are defined today by what God makes us, and that is alive in Jesus. That is his son, that is his daughter, whom he's well pleased with, because when he looks at you, he sees the work of Jesus Christ. And your sins are no more. They're as far as the east is from the west. God looks at you as if you've never had any sin. And to do this, Christ himself needed to be resurrected. So as he's in the tomb, three days later, church, what happens? Our Savior's nail-pierced hands begin to twitch. Our Savior's blood-crusted eyelids begin to open. And as Russell Moore says, Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life, checked himself out of his own tomb and is alive and well. Church, our God is alive. That means those who are in Christ are alive too. It's like the dry bones in Ezekiel 37 uh, where they were brought back to life by God's word and his spirit. And that's the same for us, church. It's by resurrecting grace that we have been saved. It's not what you've done. It's not because of who you are, but it's solely by the grace of God. That means you can stop trying. You can stop trying to work yourself out of the state that you were once in, out of the state that you might be in right now. It means God loved you while you were at your worst, at your literal worst. That God gave himself for you in Christ Jesus. That God's grace was given to you and just, it's, 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 it's absurd. I mean, I can't, even, I can't even talk without mumbling because it's so, it's so extravagant. Is it not? I mean, think about yourselves for a second. Think about you at, at your worst, and then even worse, you were, and God saves you. That God gave himself for you. He emptied himself for you, church. Church, it's by the grace of God that we have been saved. This is what we were, dead in our sin, and this is what God makes us alive in Christ. Jack Miller once said, cheer up. You are a lot worse off than you think you are. Cheer up. You're also more known, accepted, and loved 
than you ever hoped or imagined. Both are true because the gospel is true. Did you see the sad news of our sin makes the good news of God's grace even greater? May we never forget this, guys. When we remember this, it keeps us honest about our sin, but it keeps us humbled by our Savior. When we remember this, it keeps us living with one another in unity, that we share the same story that we were once dead, but Christ has raised us from the dead. The gospel not only resurrects dead people, but it's also restoring and renewing the now resurrected living people, those who are Christians, those that follow Jesus, to be what God made them to be. He made us to be one in Christ, church. When we remember this, it, it, it helps us know that even the walking dead who are among us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, our friends, our family, they are never too dead for the living God to resurrect. They're never too dead. And you know why we know that? Because we were not too dead for our living God to bring us from death to life in Jesus. Only dead people can be resurrected. And the good news is, church, that Jesus, who's the resurrection of life, he's never met a corpse that he cannot raise from the dead.